0: Been thinking about this lately This is what I suppose Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel South London You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org I realise that nothing's <laughs> right with me So I'm on my knees for understanding The more the world I see, the more I see Leave her off in but I'm no diamond ring i got a lot to learn, so I'm What an encouragement to our souls. We serve a living God. And we appreciate that He is at work in our lives actively. His angels are on assignment, are on assignment to preserve us who are heirs of salvation. And so we thank God and we thank the Lord that He kept you sis and continues to do so. Amen. So, Brother, can you take a little bit of the base off my mic again, please? Thank you. So, part five. Female vocals in the life of the church. It is the final part by God's grace. I'm trusting that I'm not gonna need to beg another week. And um I'm excited about sharing this, in as much as I've been excited about sharing more, that the Lord has really been affecting my heart and life as I've been going through. This message studying it and and teaching it um really been affected, and I know we've been having some really great times um in as we're fellowshipping in community group and um I'm so grateful for that it's definitely caused me to appreciate my own wife and daughters all the more um and in some ways, I didn't think I could appreciate them more than I already did because I felt like I appreciated them to the heavens. But the Lord's had just a whole nother depth to that. And I thank him for that. Because, yeah. My ladies are precious. You know what I mean? And they're extremely um, virtuous. I, I'll be honest with you. Furthermore, really, it's quite a challenge to live with them. <laughs> it's quite a challenge to live with them, and I and I say that in the best possible sense because they righteously keep me on my toes. Righteously keep, me. and it's not even just the things that they say; it's just the virtue that comes forth from their lives. You know, when the Bible says, "Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good." And I taste His goodness through their lives every single day. I feel like a really privileged man. And so, even going through this, being able to kind of gain a deeper understanding and appreciation for them is 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 it's, it's moving. It's emotional. I want to start crying up here. But yeah. So you know, it 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 caused me to. Um, identified with these words. I'm going to share a quote. And it's from a minister called Stuart Briscoe. Some of you will be familiar with hearing his ministry, um, the the ministry of the Briscoe family on um, Premier Radio. And this is what he said. As a pastor, a husband, and a father, I have a dread of burying someone else's talents particularly those bestowed on women. Accordingly, I have tried to scrutinize my views, the place of tradition, the thrust of theology, and the force of my prejudices. Repeatedly, I have come back to this fact. If the Lord has given gifts, I had better be careful about denying freedom for their exercise. More than that, I need to ensure that the women in my life have every encouragement from me to be what he called and gifted them to be. A major part of my life must be spent as a man caring for, nurturing, encouraging and developing gifted women because they aren't the only ones who will give account for their stewardship. As a man... In a male-oriented church, I may one day be asked about their gifts too. I would like to be able to say, I did considerably more than burying. A talent is a terrible thing to waste. And I feel like I could have written that myself, because I completely identify with what he's saying. And not only is it true for me with regards to my wife and my daughters... But also it's true for me as a pastor in the church. And I thank God for Calvary Chapel, South London. And I thank God for all the women here. For every single one of you ladies. And undeniably, it is mine and us as a a leadership team. It is our earnest commitment to see you flourish and be all that God purpose for you to be. We really do care about that. And so, as we approach the fifth and final part of female vocals in the life of the church, I start with an appeal, and then I'll pray. And the appeal is this. You are wanted, ladies. You are wanted, By the Lord, you are on heaven's wanted list. You see, what is being looked for is the Lord's next top model. Listen to me good. The Lord's next top model. Female leaders with style and substance. Let's pray. Dear Lord God and Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to know you, to have relationship with you. You made it all possible by giving your son for us, to be in relationship with you, to be citizens of your heavenly kingdom, to call heaven our home and you our father and king. What a privilege it is. And we thank you that in Christ you tore down the dividing wall of partition. And there is now neither Jew nor Greek. Male nor female, slave nor free, but we are all one in Christ. And within that unity, Lord, we appreciate that there is diversity. We are one body of many parts. And when all the same, we differ. And yet, we all have a valuable contribution to make to one another's lives. And so, Lord, my prayer is today that you would help me To encourage us all, Lord, particularly our ladies, to rise up and be all that you have called them to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Wanted, the Lord's next top model. Female leaders with style and substance. Now, obviously, I've got to qualify that because on the face of it, that could sound very worldly. In terms of the values being communicated. And so I will endeavor to break that down as to what that means and how that applies to us. But just on brief reflection, we recognize that the Lord has purposed for ladies to make a vocal contribution to the life of the church that that communication would be verbal and is also nonverbal it's not just expressed in words but it's also expressed in actions and attitudes the lord has established an order and a framework within which that is to flourish and so we give thanks for the Lord's guidance, for the expression of His will and purpose, and for His grace to fulfill that. And yet, I appreciate that there is still yet more. Last week we talked about prophecy and the place in the life of the church for women to be able to contribute prophecy. God speaking to us, the echo of his word to us now for this moment, to our situation. In order that we might be encouraged, comforted, that we might be stirred up, built up. And yet there's more. Yet there's more because we see in the scripture That there is a mandate for female leaders. There is a mandate for female leaders. Who are going to glorify Christ. As trophies of his grace. And so. What does that mean? One of the things I appreciate is that. For all of us, men and women, it's a challenge to set our sights on Christ. As it says in Hebrews, look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So often we look at ourselves before we look at Christ. We look at ourselves and say, I'm so unworthy. I'm so not good enough. Rather than look into Christ and realize that he is worthy. And he is good enough. And he was good enough on my behalf. Some of you may have caught the um, funeral of Whitney Houston on TV yesterday. It was on CNN. And, you know, I must say, I was I was moved. I was blessed. I was encouraged. I was challenged. In certain places I was disappointed. But... Nonetheless there was so much communicated and you know I was really quite taken by Kevin Costner as he stood up to to share his reflections and memories of Whitney and particularly in regards to the film the bodyguard and how that was actually cast and the the conflict that he actually had to go through in order to get Whitney cast for that and he fought for her to be cast in the role and they said she has to have a screen test and she's preparing for the screen test. And it was interesting because he highlighted the fact that even the, you know, internationally known, internationally loved superstar Whitney Houston was sitting there thinking, am I good enough? Do I really have what it takes to do this? And I'm sure that ladies, many of you will identify with that when it comes to representing the Lord Maybe feeling that you don't know enough. Maybe feeling that you're not good enough. And so from the outset, I want to emphasize grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. God's grace that is not only favor. God blessing you, favoring you, but it's also divine enablement. It's divine empowerment. It's that infusion, infusion of ability to do his will. And so, ladies, God's grace is upon you. Consider what that means for you. Where you say, I can't, God says you can. Because the scripture says, you can do all things through Christ Jesus. Lord, help me to encourage the ladies today and ask men to encourage our ladies. And so the Lord is looking for leaders, female leaders with style and substance. Now, let me just break down female leaders, because already some of you are feeling a bit nervous about that. I thought only men were supposed to be leaders. That's the first problem thinking that only men are supposed to be leaders. Now, we appreciate and understand that there are two dynamics of leadership. There's informal and formal. And every single person in this room is an informal leader. By definition, a leader is someone who has influence on someone else. Simple as. If you have influence upon someone else, by definition, you are a leader. You are able to influence them for good or for bad. You're able to influence them towards God and for the glory of Christ or otherwise. And so the first thing I want to communicate is, ladies, recognize that you are leaders. You are leaders. It may be in the workplace, it may be in the home, amongst your family, it may be with your children... It may be in uni, college, wherever you are. Paul says this, you are a living letter read by all people. People are watching your life. And you have an influence upon them. And so rather than allow that to be something that just happens by default or by accident. Ladies, I want to encourage you to be intentional about the influence that you have on people be intentional and use that influence to exemplify and glorify Christ in a way that will cause Jesus to be attractive to that person through your life and so in an informal sense every single one of you are a leader that's true unequivocally without doubt I don't have to know you and know your life to be able to say that and so ladies please be intentional with that influence that God has given you because you truly are powerful you are indeed in a formal sense there is a scope for leadership In a formal sense, there is a scope for leadership. Now, if you turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2, let's clarify what that scope is and what it isn't. 1st Timothy chapter 2 I'm going to read from verse 8 through to 15 the apostle Paul says this to Timothy I desire then that in every place the men should pray lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control not with braided hair And gold or pearls and costly attire. Likewise also that women... Sorry, my bad. But with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Verse 11. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam... Was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self control. So, right here, the Apostle Paul is defining the extent of the lady's vocal range with regards to leadership. He's defining the boundaries. He's kind of setting them out there. This is what the playing field looks like. This is how it is marked up. With every game that's going to be in any way enjoyable, constructive, productive, there has to be ground rules in order for everyone to be able to work well together. And so in this passage, we see uh, a reflection of what Paul was communicating in First Corinthians 11. We see a, a, a correlation. There's a similarity in the tone. And the sense. That is being communicated. First of all he starts with the men. He said look. Men. Wherever you are. Come together. Pray. Lifting up holy hands. Without anger or quarreling. So no beefing, guys. Holy hands. You know, they talk about the international symbol of surrender. Holding your hands up. It's interesting that Paul makes reference to lifting up holy hands. Open palmed. No clenched fists. Without anger or quarreling. Now, it's not quite clear where the source of this anger may have been directed towards. It's not quite clear what was the cause of quarreling. It could well have been the husbands and wives coming together and their contentions spilling out into the public worship of the church because he addresses addresses men and women. And so that could be the case. And yet we recognize he's saying whatever the cause Listen, you don't bring that into the house of God. You don't bring that amongst the family of God. We come in peace. Likewise, women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, modesty, self-control, not braided hair, gold or pearls or costly clothes. Now, This relates back to what we were talking about in 1 Corinthians 11 culturally. Because whereas in that chapter, Corinthians 11, Paul was talking about the visible appearance, communicating dishonor toward God. Particularly amongst married women who were not wearing their veils and dishonoring their marital union. In this sense, Paul's writing to Timothy and he's in Ephesus. He ain't in Corinth. We recognize that culturally, it was a custom for women who were, um, again, expressing their independence and liberation and even um, sexual freedom to dress up. To overdress themselves in order to accentuate their attractiveness. Now, that ain't nothing new to us. Within our culture, we're familiar with what are known as ladies of the night. And one of the means by which their customers are able to identify them is by reason of the fact that they dress accordingly. Scantily. Some might say they tart themselves up. And so if you think about that picture, it relates to what Paul's addressing here in their time and place. Listen, ladies, be modest. Don't be like the world in wanting to over-accentuate your femininity and communicate the same Unspoken message. And so Paul's not. Saying ladies you can't look good. Paul's not saying ladies you can't give attention to your appearance. But for many they were making an idol out of that. Because of what it meant. To the people who saw them. Because of the attitude that it conveyed. And so Paul then goes on to say, let a woman learn quietly, with all submissiveness. Some some translations say, in silence. But actually, quietly is a much better interpretation in that sense. Because it, it doesn't mean that a woman can't speak at all. It means that her attitude and demeanor must be calm. it relates to and reflects Paul's admonition in verse 8 to the men without anger or quarreling. So men are supposed to be calm, ladies are supposed to be calm. Again, this might highlight the, the fact that there was contention between the sexes. Also we see that Paul was affirming ladies. People say, oh, he's a chauvinist. Ladies have got to be seen and not heard. That's what the apostle Paul's saying. Uh Uh-uh. Listen, Paul was affirming ladies. He's saying, listen, the woman is able to learn. In that culture, ladies didn't really hold influential jobs. They had more menial jobs, if at all. And in terms of learning, that really wasn't their place. And so this was a paradigm shift. This was a whole new era, a whole new season. When ladies came into Christ, they were affirmed as being worthy and valuable recipients of truth. In a way that was uncommon in the culture. So Paul weren't a chauvinist and that ain't what he's communicating here. He then goes on in verse 12. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. And so right here we see Paul communicating something that is a fundamental cornerstone of a complementarian perspective. We've already talked about headship. Of the husband in a relationship. And we're now seeing how that reflects and meets with the life of the church family. And again, it is specific to the church family. Again, Ephesians 5, Paul says, The husband and the wife is a picture of Christ and his bride. The bride is the church. So within the life of the church, where everyone is endeavouring to be Christ-like, the Lord has set some parameters as to how the headship in the home is supposed to be reflected in the life of the church. And so basically what he's saying here is, look, you know what? Ladies, the position of leadership and authority, the ones who are responsible for communicating doctrine and setting the direction of the church, that is the responsibility of guys. That's the responsibility of men. He's basically saying that women are not supposed to be pastors. In simple terms. In that. And let me qualify that. In that. They are not to have authority over men. And responsible for setting their. The doctrine of the church in terms of what is taught and what is observed. Now, Paul, throughout the book of Timothy, addresses the issue of right teaching, right doctrine, and the necessity for it to be communicated. In chapter 1, verse 3, he says that, Right doctrine only must be taught. In verse 10 of chapter 1. Doctrine is not to be deviated from. The doctrine is not to be deviated from. Furthermore, in verse 11, it's to be lined up with. In chapter 2, he says, right doctrine, the truth of God can be known. In chapter 3, 9, he talks about holding it even though it was a mystery. Holding on to right doctrine. In chapter 4, he communicates the fact that it can be departed from. In verse 6 of chapter 4, we're to be trained in right doctrine, in the words of the truth. Because it is good. Good. In verse 11 of chapter 4, he says to Timothy, it's to be commanded. In verse 16, he says it's to be watched closely. Furthermore, in chapter 5, verse 8, it says that it can be denied through our actions. Our very actions can contradict the doctrine of the faith. He says that there are others that are promoting teachings that don't line up with it in verse 3 of chapter 6 but rather as his people we are to have actions that line up and those actions are true godliness in verse 12 of chapter 6 he says that the faith is to be fought for It is to be fought for and confessed. And in verses 20 and 21. He says to Timothy. It is to be guarded. As there is no other truth out there. And this is just in 1st Timothy. And a similar volume of of, um, emphasis is given in 2nd Timothy. We're talking about. The gospel of Jesus Christ. We're talking about the doctrine of the church. It is a defined set of beliefs. It is a body of teachings. The codifying of principles. It is the institutional teaching of the church. The body of Christ. This is what Paul's referring to here when he's saying he does not permit a woman to teach. In that she is not supposed to be responsible ultimately. Not supposed to be the last word in the context of the local church with regards to communicating the doctrine of the faith. That doesn't mean that she can't and we'll see in a minute that there is glorious opportunity and furthermore mad necessity for ladies to embrace doctrine and again be intentional about being leaders having style but also substance style in terms of Christ likeness because it don't matter how hot you look if you don't look like Jesus <coughs> And so that's the style we're supposed to have. That Christ-like fragrance. That Christ-like appearance. And yet, with substance. And I'll talk a bit more about that in a minute. To help kind of give you a, a bit of a perspective on doctrine. Doctrine is a word that is not just used in the context of the church. It's also used in other environments. So within the area of law there are certain doctrines used to refer to a principle of law. So, for example, in common law traditions, there is a doctrine of self-defense or the principle of fair use. And so there is a particular um, structured and organized set of views which are established as being the teaching on self-defense. And so we recognize that the idea of having a set of teachings is something that is common in life. Some people, so for example, you take a company like Apple, and they have a way of doing business, and they have a way of doing things. And they have a way in which they induct their staff and quote-unquote indoctrinate them to the Apple way of working. They give them the Apple teachings, the Apple perspective. They could have worked in retail in 101 different retail companies, but this is our doctrine in Apple. And so the church has doctrine. It is found in the 66 books of scripture. And yet it is more clearly defined when broken down systematically. Where our going through the Bible begins to expose principles that then marry up with other aspects of scripture. Helping us to get a clearer sense of meaning. So it might be the deity of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the God man. We don't get that communicated simply in one text. But as we link up John 10 with Isaiah and Revelation 1. And we begin to get a more rounded picture. As to what is the doctrine of the deity of Christ. So that was really just to clarify what is Paul talking about he's talking about that authoritative proclamation of Christian doctrine which is why the term authority is accompanied with the term teaching you see that doctrine being institutional is the doctrine by which we live as Christians and to which we are held accountable And so in that regard, Paul's defined the boundaries as that being the responsibility of men. He gives his reasons in verse 13, which will definitely sound familiar to what's coming out of 1 Corinthians 11. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. So he takes it back to creation. This isn't just a cultural issue. Well, in our life and times, this is how it needs to go because, you know, in the culture, that's the order that we see. And so you've got to kind of fit in with the culture. And, but to us Christians now in 2012, where the culture's changed, that doesn't any longer apply to us because that's what people say. No, Paul takes it out of that. And says, look, let's just go back to the beginning and the way that God ordained things. He says, Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Is he saying that all women are gullible? Guys, don't answer that. Is he saying that all women are gullible? No. But he's saying that Eve was. At that time. At that place. On that occasion. Now, I know that all women are not gullible. Some are. But also, so are some men. There was one day when I came out of my house and there was this lady and she said, I wonder if you could help me. Um... My meter's gone and, and I just, I, I've got a sick daughter and she needs, I need to be able to get the meter on. And I wonder, could you, have you got any money you could? And I was standing there thinking, and she's like, yeah, I've just moved in around the corner and blah, blah, blah. And I said, oh, look, you know, I haven't got any change, you know. And obviously she says, of course, I'll take what you've got. <laughs> so I ended up giving her five pound. And so then I went inside and as I closed the door, I thought to myself, hold on a minute. Moved in around the corner where? <laughs> you see what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I'm out here every day. There, I ain't seen no moving vans, no cars, no nothing. I'm thinking, hold on a minute. I don't even remember seeing any empty properties or anything. Ra- and so by that time, I be, the penny began to drop. I'd been had royally, properly had I won't even tell you what. Judith said when I told her. (laughs) (laughs) And so men and women have weaknesses. And men and women have strengths. And they may differ from individual to individual. And they may also differ based on the way God's made us. We've already established that men and women are different. And there are certain strengths that men have. In greater abundance than women, just as there are certain strengths that women have in greater abundance than men. So it's not that one is better than the other, but that we are different and yet complementary. The strengths of the woman complement the weaknesses of the man, and vice versa. And so, in this, we see this is what God's communicating here. Now, I'm not gonna, I'm we're going to go through this again at a later time when we go through First Timothy. And I'll give more detail on all of the different views and arguments and so on and so forth. So that at least you can be aware and be equipped because you will come across them. One of the things that I would highlight is that this isn't one of those essential matters of doctrine. This isn't one of those essential issues it's not something that's going to affect our salvation. So if people are in churches with women pastors, it doesn't mean they're going to hell. I had a really fruitful conversation with the brother Kane last week. Really appreciated it. You see, he raised the issue. He said, look, what about the church that we're going into to use the building? Some of you will know that the pastor there, the vicar there is a lady. So how does that impact with how does how does that relate to us knowing that that's not our conviction? Doesn't that mean that we're going to be under the the pastorate of a lady? and it's a fair question, and the first thing to highlight is this is not a matter that we as Christians should divide over. I know good people, solid people I mean. In the, in the college where I'm at, there are a couple of lecturers, they hold that the, what's called the egalitarian view that women can be leaders in the church. So there are people with a reasoned biblical argument that hold that position and hold it with conviction, the conviction of scripture. And so we mustn't leave here and say, well. We see the Bible teaches this, and then start throwing stones at people who are in that place. Secondly, for us as a church moving to St. Peter's, we are not coming under the pastoral authority of the leadership there. We are using the building. We are no more under the pastoral authority of the leadership at St. Peter's than we are here at Charter under the head teachers authority as a pastor head teacher has no influence on our services and how we function and what we say and so on and so forth they provide a space and likewise when we go to St. Peter's we are utilizing the space and so we as elders are very clear on that and obviously have established that clarity with regards to um, our relationship with them with which they're happy. And so, in that sense, there is no way in which we will be under the pastoral authority of a lady as may be a concern. Now, that doesn't mean that the leader there isn't our landlord, and we could be we could have a landlord, we have a landlord here. I mean. Some people are in theaters, some churches are in cinemas, some churches are in recreation centers, anywhere you go, unless you have your own building, you're going to have that kind of relationship. Again, that does not impede or impose on us in terms of how we function as a church and conduct and carry out our worship and the doctrine that we teach. And so you can be assured of that. And so we recognize that there is difference in views and we with good conscience search the scriptures and consider the the, not just obviously this one text, but you look at the tone of scripture, you look at the consistency of scripture and you then look at how did the early church respond to this. And again, Throughout the time we see that there's been a consistency with regards to male pastoral leadership. And so that's what we preach. And you know, quite to be quite honest, it would be easier not to preach that, wouldn't it? It'd be easier just to say, yeah, we can have women pastors and so on and so forth. So they're the boundaries. And we'll elaborate more on that at another time. One thing I would say. Just as a point of clarification, before I move off this topic, is this. Ah, are you joking? Um, listen. Some would say these verses ought to be translated husbands and wives. Yeah? So, in place of men it should say, I desired in every place, husbands should pray, lifting up holy hands, wives should adorn themselves in... Re- I let a wife learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a wife to teach or have authority over a husband. You know, it could be translated that way. We've already talked about that in previous sessions and the use of the word man and woman. But really, it makes no difference to the outcome in practice. I heard the situation the other day of a guy who basically was challenged because... He, his wife, was the pastor of his church. And so he was challenged, well then, how does that work at home? If the Bible clearly talks about the husband being the head of the wife. Now, the reality is that a lot of people do a whole heap of gymnastics with the text to try and make it say something that... You know, it says the husband's the head of the wife, but no, it actually means they're equal. And that's a very long story, which is probably not really worth elaborating on. If we understand that the husband is the head of the wife, and even if this were speaking to husbands and wives, we also recognize, as we said before, that human history began with a marriage. And the marital relationship was the highest expression of relations between men and women. That being the case, one, we see how that reflects to the family of the church of God. And Paul goes on in the next chapter to elaborate on that. He gives the qualities of a leader, the characteristics, some say the qualifications of a leader. And he speaks about men. And men being people who manage their house right. So he draws the parallel relationship between the personal family and the family of God. And how they're synonymous. And so even if it was speaking to husbands and wives. The principle in terms of the family of God. Being a wider expression of the personal family. Still applies. And. So. That's the extent of the boundary. And. I feel torn. Alright. Let's just go for this. Ladies. Although that is the extent of the boundary. Listen. There is still a leadership role for you to play. There is still a work to be done. And my thing is this, I think that very often ladies in, in 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 an environment like ours where we have male leaders, it's recognized, it's accepted, it's you know, no one's beefing over it. We praise God. We get on with it. Very often ladies can feel as though that means that by default, I don't really have any kind of Leadership initiative to take in the life of the church. And I think that we're being robbed. If that is true for you. Turn with me to Titus 2. Titus chapter 2. Reading from verse 1. To verse 5. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love and in steadfastness. Older women, verse 3, likewise are to be reverent in behavior. Not slanderers or slaves to much wine. Louder drinking. They are to teach what is good. Uh, Hold on. They are to what? They are to who? No, it's like, talk to me, please. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children. To be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. That the word of God may not be reviled. Now listen. In the UK, at least 65% of church attenders are women. That means that if you were going to apportion ministry in the life of the church, men and women, there should be more ministry going on toward women because there are more women. True or false? Maybe that's the reason for our announcements today. Mark said it's just everything's for the women. But listen, on a personal level, this works formally and informally. And one of the things that I really want to urge today is the informal grasp of this, ladies. That you recognize that this is for you, whether you're in a formal position of leadership or not. Mature ladies are to teach. How do you define maturity? How do you find, define older? It's a relative term. Is he saying you have to wait until you're 40? No. If there's someone that's younger in the faith or younger in years and you're, you have, furthermore, not even you have, take the opportunity to come alongside them and to model Christ to them and help them to appreciate and understand what it means to be a Christian woman in a confused culture. Come alongside them. You're the maturer. The initiative is on you. Yes, younger ladies, you're to look for the elders. Seek them out. That's one of the fundamental principles of discipleship. Come, follow. People sitting there, I want to be discipled. No one ain't discipling me. Who are you looking to? Who are you Like Joshua chasing Moses. Elisha chasing Elijah. Elijah's trying to get rid of him. No, I won't leave you. That's the picture of discipleship. That we're we're, we're looking for those people that are examples of Christ and we're pursuing them. And we're going to bother them until they're bothered. Ladies, teach what is good. Now, here we see uh, 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 an instruction to godly style. F- female Christ-likeness. Teach what is good. And train the young women to love their husbands and children. Be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. That the word of God may not be reviled. And so we see a practical focus here, a practical um, focus on how a Christian woman is supposed to look in everyday life. What kind of metaphorical style is she supposed to have in her day-to-day life? See, we're not talking about a model on the superficial terms of worldly modeling the cosmetic external values. We're talking about godliness, character, Christ-likeness. But not just style, but also substance. Look at verse 1. Look what Paul says to Titus. As for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. There's a myth in the church today that women ain't really interested in doctrine women don't really want to talk about end times or want to talk about um, you know the doctrines of grace or they don't want to talk about um, you know issues of Dr. Trinity and no that's that's too technical it's too, they just want nice devotional stuff that ain't true you know and I thank God it ain't true around here because I know that there are ladies who are ready to chop it up. They're in their kitchen with a steak knife saying, let's get into the word. What's this business about? One God, three persons. Like, How do we get to that from scripture? How do I communicate to someone who's a Muslim and, and is a monotheist? And they, they disrespect Jesus because they say that he's not the son of God. They want to talk about what does, it, what does predestination mean? What does it mean to be saved by grace through faith alone? And I'm saying praise God and amen. Because belief dictates behavior. You can't just try and be an example of what it means to be Christ-like without giving people the substance of understanding. And so ladies, I'm encouraging you. Avail yourself of the opportunity to get into doctrine. Avail yourself of the opportunity to get solid food. Because that needs to be passed on to ladies. That needs to be passed on to others. So that there is a a solidness to the feminine appeal That is exhibited unto the glory of Christ. And so, my exhortation, my encouragement to you today, ladies. And to us as men who are encouraging and having expectation of our ladies. Because so often, you know, we limit each other by our expectation of each other. If we don't expect no better of a person, we ain't giving them nothing to aspire to. And so I'm saying, look, let's encourage one another, iron sharpening iron, challenging one another, stirring one another. Ladies, taking that initiative to be female leaders with style and substance. Now hear this. You might look at that, those verses there and think, but I'm single and I don't have no husband and no children. You know what? That really is irrelevant because the same principles and qualities that are being conveyed are going to strengthen you in your single life. What's good for the goose is good for the gander, especially if you know and you proper know you ain't been given the gift of singleness. It's ready preparation. And for some of you ladies who are thinking, well, I don't really feel like I have much opportunity. You know, I'm just home with the children, and, you know, it's, it just seems like that's my lot. You may be even feeling hard done by, like, well, you know, i kind of given up a career to focus on the children, and I know it's godly, but psh, I don't really feel so so, so valuable like it's really being appreciated or I'm really being fulfilled and you know my talents and my gifts are really being used I want to encourage you with this thought Timothy was a young pastor in Ephesus he was a young pastor who was about the will of God he was a young pastor who was there on mission with the great apostle Paul Paul took him as his own son in the faith and was schooling him and training him. And this is what we see being communicated in these letters. And him giving Timothy opportunity to go in his place and affect leadership in the churches that he'd established. Timothy was a young guy with the call of God upon his life. And I want you to look at Second Timothy chapter 1, please. I want you to see where it all started in Timothy's life. And I want you to be encouraged at how important and how precious your role in the life of children and young people is. Your leadership in their life. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. I am reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois. Who? Who? Grandmother Lois. And then who? Your mother Eunice. Who? His mother Eunice. And now I am sure. Dwells in you as well. No mention of dad. No mention of granddad. It said that Timothy was of Greek heritage. And yet we see from his grandmother schooling his mother. And his mother schooling him. God's work in his life was preparing him for the ministry that he now walks in. You don't know who your child is going to be. You don't know who your child's child is going to be and how they're going to be used by God. You have a wealth of potential in your hands. Daily. Under your leadership. The most precious job in the world. The most important job in the world. And many of you may be single moms living in a house where you don't have no godly man in the house. You may not even have no godly man in the family. And yet, the Lord's called you and empowered you to be a leader in your home. And so, ladies, I encourage you finally with the grace of God his grace is enough we sang the song let it marinate our souls his grace is enough it's not about how good you are it's not about how good you look It's not about whether you can bake bread. (laughs) Because you know it's hard to bake bread really, you know. (laughs) It's not about that. It's about the fact that God's grace is upon you. Grace for you to be able to handle doctrine and enjoy it to have that kind of substance to pass on and to have a godly character that you can flaunt with swagger as trophies of God's grace to be emulated and aspired to by those less mature. Ladies, you're wanted. God's looking for his next top models female leaders with style and substance amen let's stand let's pray